truths that we'll hear. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, church. Good morning, Keystone. Morning, Keystone. Morning. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Um, a few minutes before the service started, I was like, oh man, everybody must have heard that I was preaching because no one was here. So thank you for coming. Uh, please be praying for Pastor Josh and Sarah as they are out of town vacation. Uh, you know, he's, he's living a rough life, so just uh, be praying for him. Hey, uh, this morning, before we get started, uh, you can go ahead and take your Bibles. Oh, I'm supposed to do the video, aren't we? We're good? All right, sorry. Uh, I'm supposed to do a video, and you guys have seen that video for, what, 20 weeks? I think you guys can probably quote it, but it's all good. Um, just want to give you, uh, turn to Mark chapter 6. While you're turning, I want to give you an update as far as camp. Um, if you haven't seen any posts or anything, camp was completely amazing. Parents, if your students have not used the word amazing, well, then they didn't really describe camp properly. I have been to camp many times, uh, but this is one that I will not forget. It was powerful. We took 19 people, three adults, so we took 16 students. Um, in fact, students who actually made a decision, I challenged them to be bold. I challenged them to call or, or share with their parents first, as well as later on with others. So students who made a decision, if you'll take a stand, just signifying that you made a decision this past week. Yeah. Thank you, students. Have a seat. It's all good. Thank you. Church, we had um, one rededication. We had other decisions. Well, we had five except Christ. Out of 16, God moved in a powerful way. Three of those were reassurances. And on Thursday when I posted that, because Wednesday was such a powerful night, I said that we've got one more day of camp. God's not done. Well, he wasn't done. Friday, uh, when we got home, I got a text from a student who said, look, I thought about this the whole ride home. While other students were sleeping, uh, I'm still tired. <laughs> I still haven't recovered yet. Um, it's a good kind of tired. He sent me a text and he said, you know, I've got a lot of questions and doubts. And I came home to talk to my parents and um, I really want to talk with you. I just want to make assurance of my salvation as well. So we set up a time. I met with him this morning, was able to go through scripture and show him exactly to make sure he had a clear understanding. And uh, so we already had, you can't hear very well. Is that better? All right. So we had a student this morning at, uh, I met with him at 930 and he accepted Christ as well. Uh, so yes, praise the Lord. Um, it, it's it's got to be the tattoo. If I had known that, I would have gotten a tattoo years ago. Uh, no, I'm just joking. All glory and praise to God. Um, I honestly was praying for certain students and was just praying that if one would just accept Christ. I had no idea we would have six out of 16. It was amazing. In fact, uh, Friday morning when they asked, uh, camp was, uh, we had uh, over 1,100 students tons of churches there and our church took up one whole row and when they asked for students to take a stand uh, who had made a decision that week you know and half of our row stood up um, it was just very very humbling and just a reminder of how good God is and how so church thank you not only for your financial support but thank you for praying 
because God heard our prayers and moved in a mighty way. So thank you. Um, and thank you to my wife. Um, she doesn't get enough credit, but she allows me to be able to do what I do, um, to be able to go away for a week and be away from her. Um, so thank you. All right. Um, so this morning, I'm just wondering, can someone tell me what walking means? You don't have to tell me, just think about it. What does walking mean? So if you look it up in the dictionary, it says walking is to move at a regular pace by lifting and setting down each foot in turn, never having both feet off the ground at once. We walk everywhere we go. Yes, you drove here, but then you had to walk inside. Uh, Pastor Josh mentioned last week being really tired from a particular vacation from walking all over Disney. I can go ahead and tell you, Josh has not been to camp because at camp, we walked everywhere. We walked all over the camp. Poor Tyler, bless his heart. This genius, I'm sorry, this student, uh, he decided to go to the pool. But the pool was way on the other side of the campus. And he came back and he, he was with some other students, just not in our group. Uh, we had one genius and <laughs> I'm just giving him a hard time. And he came back and he said, yeah, I went to the pool. He said, it was a 30 minute walk. I'm like, Tyler, what are you doing? They have shuttles for that. He's like, well, I didn't see shuttles. He walked 30 minutes there to go to the pool and ended up playing basketball with some college guys. He beat them, by the way, so yeah, shout out. And then walked back. So talk about walking. Walking is something we do every day in life. We don't really think much of it. Carson does. I mean, she's only been walking now for just a couple of months. Uh, she was, <laughs> yes, she was a... Yes, praise the Lord. She was a trooper this past week. On the outside, you guys think, you know, everything's fine. On the inside, she was hurting. Her joints and her body, her legs, her feet were on fire. But she was a trooper. She walked uh, with the students and made it all around campus. Uh, she did great. Walking is for us to, it's not a hurrying. It's not running. It's just moving at a steady pace. There's no wonder, since walking is such a part of life, why the Bible uses walking as a metaphor of the Christian life. We walk in the Word. We walk with Christ. We walk in the light. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk like an Egyptian. There's your, there's Josh's pop, uh, pop song reference. So walking is a part of life. It's something that we do. This morning, we're going to look at the story that you've all heard uh, since you were little in Sunday school. But we're going to look at it a little differently and have more of a focus. So let's read in Mark chapter 6 as we look at Jesus walking on the water. Verse 45. You guys ready? Here we go. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when uh, they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they were uh, terrified. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. 
verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I need your touch this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would remove distractions, remove my faults, Lord, that you would speak through me and you would have us to hear exactly what needs to be said. Father God, I need you now. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Here we have a familiar story. We have where um, Jesus walked on the water. We've all heard it. Typically, when you hear someone preach about it, they typically preach about Peter getting out of the boat and Peter's faith or lack of faith. Well, if you notice, Mark doesn't even mention Peter at all. Peter was actually Mark's informant as far as he wrote the gospel. This was the first gospel that was written. And scholars debate as far as why this isn't in there. Some say, you know, Peter, by the time he informed Mark that he uh, was humbled, that he had taken the foot out of his mouth because he had done that so many times because that's the kind of guy that Peter was. Um, that could be true, but I like to think that Mark had a different focus, and his focus was simply on Jesus and not of anything else, which is where our focus needs to be. So first, when we read this passage, what do we see? There are some things that I really want us to understand from this. And the first thing we see is that Jesus understood the importance of spending quality time in prayer. Let's look at four, uh, verse 46 and 47. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Even verse 47, it says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. First, he sent his disciples away. Why? Because he knew the importance of spending time one-on-one -on -one with his father. Parents, it's okay to send your children outside. It's okay to send your children to another room to do something or whatever so you can have a place to where you can spend time with God alone without distractions. My mom, during the summertime especially, she, she sent us outside. You know, we weren't supposed to come inside. Even though she was watching Price is Right Days of Our Lives, we weren't supposed to come inside. But it's okay to send your kids away so you can spend time with God. Jesus saw that it was important, and he commanded his disciples to get into the boat and go away. You don't see where the disciples uh, kind of argued back or said, Well, Lord, you know, I don't want to leave you alone. This wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. He made them get into the boat. They went. Why? Because he knew the importance of this. So first, he sent his disciples away. Then he went up to the mountain to pray. John Piper said, until you believe life is war, you cannot know what prayer is about. If you don't have a, a great prayer life, and it's hard because you feel like it's a one-sided conversation, you don't necessarily hear God speaking audibly, I get it. It's tough. But I want to challenge you as Christians like I challenge the students, I want to challenge you to commit to 30 minutes to read your scriptures each day and 15 minutes in prayer. 
Some of you are like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, 45 minutes, Jeff? Come on. Fine. Start with five minutes in the Word and two minutes in prayer. After a week, make it 10 minutes and five minutes and grow because we have churches who are full of babies in Christ who have been saved for 30, 40, 50 years and who don't really have a real relationship with God. Like I challenge the students, I'm challenging you as an adult, grow up. It's time to mature. Why? Jesus saw the importance of it, and he was almighty God. How much more do we need it? This is why we talk about getting into God's word, you and he alone, daily, because the importance of it. As I mentioned that John Piper has said, until you believe life is war, you cannot understand or know what prayer is about. Have you looked around our culture today? We are at war. This is a war. And either you're going to win the battle or not. And the only way you can is on your knees, standing on God's word in prayer. Jesus understood that. Next we see that the disciples did not understand that Jesus is the great I am. I love singing that song this morning. Thanks, Tim, for working that out. I am who I am because the I am said so, right? I am who I am because the I am said so. The disciples didn't get it. They just saw the miracle of the 5,000. Now understand, if we were to only count the men in here, right, if we had, I don't know, 25 men, then by the time you add, you know, because some men are married, some are not married, some have one child, some have the Brady Bunch. So it's all good. But by the time you add it up, if you counted 25 men, you would end up with 75 to 100 people. Same thing when they said feeding of the 5,000, you had 5,000 men. Well, then you had between 15 to 20,000 people that Christ fed with five sardines and two biscuits, right? Or is it five biscuits and two sardines? That's what it was. Sorry, sorry. But he fed with these small little lads lunch. And he fed that many people. The disciples just witnessed this miracle, but they still didn't see that God was, that Jesus was deity, that he was the son of God. They still didn't get it. That's why it says in verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't quite get it. But in Matthew chapter 14, if you want to flip over, so understand that the, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle in the gospel that's mentioned in all four Gospels. So it's important. Walking on the water is mentioned in three of the four Gospels. And people have heard outside of Sunday school about Christ walking on the water. Why? Because no one's ever done it before. No one's ever seen it before. The disciples saw it. it talks about them witnessing, that they were eyewitnesses seeing him walk on the water, and it terrified them. So before they saw the feeding of the 5,000, so what did Jesus do? Jesus walks in the water to them. He, he commanded them, right, to go out. As they were there, and they were in the midst of a storm came up. They couldn't get over to the other side. Where was Jesus? Was he right there? No, he was alone in the mountain to pray. They were about a mile out, and Jesus was on the land up on a mountain. How in the world could he see them when they were in the middle of a storm? Because he's God. Just like when you're in the middle of a storm, and you think God's nowhere around, you think God's not there? He sees you. He knows. He understands. 
He is with you. So Jesus walks to them on the water. <laughs> and if you look at the end of Matthew 14, in verse 32 and 33, it says, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They finally saw it. They finally understood it. So Jesus did these miracles to show his disciples who he really is. And when they didn't get it, he walked on water. Maybe they'll get it then. And they did. Truly, you are the Son of God. Christ um, was teaching his disciples to simply walk by faith, to trust in him. When you're walking, you're constantly moving. Jesus' disciples, they walked everywhere they went. It made me think of a song from when I was a little kid. He walks with me and talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Oh, it's special. We read in God's Word about Enoch. We don't read much, but what we do read is that Enoch walked with God. Guys, when you are spending time daily in God's Word and spending time daily praying with Him, to Him, it's special. You are actually walking with God. He teaches us to walk by faith, that we need to trust Him the disciples, we see that Jesus walked to them, but they were afraid. Why? Well, they were in the midst of a storm. They were fishermen. They knew how to handle a boat. They only had to go four miles. It wouldn't take that long for them to go. They had only gotten about a mile or so out, and they just kept rowing and rowing. Let's read back in verse uh, 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch, that's how they kept, the, uh, the, the Bible explains time. The first watch would be from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second watch of the night is 9 to midnight, then midnight to 3. This is the fourth watch, so between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's the darkest part of the night. They couldn't get across. They're in the middle of a storm. They actually obeyed Christ without arguing. Without anything, they obeyed Christ, and they're in the middle of a storm. They were afraid. Guys, fear is real. This past Wednesday, I mentioned that Wednesday being such a powerful night. Um, when I came into the service, I came in a little, little bit late because I had gotten a phone call from Mandy. And when I came in, Carson looked at me. She said, you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Because she knew something was wrong because she could see it in my face. So Mandy had called me, and you guys know that Mandy has been battling chronic migraines. And recently, it's, they've just gotten worse rather than better. And so she met with a doctor. Her blood pressure has been skyrocketing. It's been so high, it's been like dangerous, like stroke level type levels, um, high. And so she had an EKG, and the doctor said that your heart is actually working overtime to help compensate for the pain that you're enduring from your migraines. And if we don't get this under control, you could actually damage your heart. And if you damage your heart, it could lead to heart issues, heart disease, those kind of things. So I'm hearing this right before I'm walking into service. My wife's a nurse, so she knows and understands this better than I. And if she is worried and scared, it scared me. It worried me. And here I am thinking, Lord, 
I'm exactly where you want me to be. I'm exactly where I need to be. And yet, we're walking into another storm. Christ was teaching his disciples to walk by faith. But they were afraid. <laughs> Reminded me when I was a little kid. I remember uh, we had bunk beds, and of course I had the top bunk. You know, you got to have the top bunk. And as I looked out, there was a window, and as cars would pass by this particular night, there was a tree there, and you could see a shadow over the tree. And I remember, remember being scared and calling out to my dad because I was afraid. So I ran to him. Of course, I woke him up. He's like, son, it's okay. It's just a shadow. It's not a problem. Well, it didn't work. I was still scared. So I remember him coming to me and just standing there and waiting with me until I fell asleep because I was afraid. Because every time I looked out with a shadow, it looked like something was outside, and I was scared. So he waited until I fell asleep. You know, Christ looked out and saw the disciples struggling in the midst of a storm, and he walked to them. When you're in the middle of a storm, I know we think that God's not there. God's not listening. God's not around. God is. He is right there. He was teaching his disciples to have faith. Next, we must understand troubles happen during obedience, even when you're in God's will. You will face storms and trials even when you obey. This is not just when you don't obey, when you disobey. When you're in the middle of God's will, you still face struggles. That's part of life. But hear this. His plans are not always what we want. They're not always what we desire. They're not even easy. But they are always best. Let me say that again. His plans are not always what we want or desire or even easy, but they are always best. Think about Jim Elliott, who was a young missionary. What did he do? God called him to be a missionary and to reach unreached people groups, and he went out, and as he tried to share the gospel with an unreached people group, with the Indians there, he was murdered. He became a martyr. Yet his wife stayed, and she was able to win many to Christ, including the murderer of her husband. Does it make sense to us? No. But I do know that I have to trust in him and his word says that his way is best. He is God, I am not. Think about uh, the Old Testament. Who was the greatest in the Old Testament? Job, right? In Job 1.3, it says this, there was no one like Job. Job lost 10 kids. He lost his health. His marriage was on the rocks. He lost everything. And he would not curse God and die. He refused to. He was blameless before God, and God ultimately restored his marriage, gave him ten more kids, gave everything back to him. Everything worked out for Job in the end. What about the New Testament? Christ says in Matthew 11, 11, that there was no one else like John, John the Baptist, who was a herald. He was there to prepare the way for Christ to come, to, to share with others that they needed to repent and be ready because the Messiah was here. What happened to John? He was arrested and beheaded. It didn't work out too well for John, did it? I cannot answer the struggles that you're in of whether or not things will work out great 
are not so great, I can say you can trust in him and him alone that he is right there with you and he will never leave you. He is growing our faith. The focus of our faith is simple. It's Jesus. Here, Peter, uh, Mark doesn't talk about Peter at all. His focus is simply Jesus. As we read in Mark, uh, Matthew 14, that the disciples worshipped God. They truly, they said, you are truly the Son of God. The focus here in Mark is all about what Christ did. He walked on the water. He had sent the, disciple, uh, the disciples away. He spent time alone with his Father. He walked out to make sure the disciples were, were okay. He did this. It's all about Christ. This is where our focus needs to be, not on our circumstances. The disciples were moved from fear to faith, from confusion to confession, from wondering to worshiping. And you know, you cannot tell this story about Jesus walking on the water without mentioning Peter. So if you do have your Bible still at Mark, uh, Matthew 14, we'll read quickly. In Matthew 14, we'll start in verse 26. It says, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So many people jump on Peter because Peter turned and looked at the circumstances and began to sink. I look at Peter and think, why in the world would someone who was around the water all the time, you would actually think that you could step out of the boat and stand on water? Oh, man, to have that kind of boldness, to have that kind of faith. How in the world could somebody do that? In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Peter could do that because he knew that he was standing on God's Word. You want to face fears? You want to face trials? Stand on God's Word. That's how you can step out of the boat. That's how when someone loses someone, they have the assurance of knowing, hey, I'm going to see them again one day. Right? Because they are standing on God's word. I didn't go into it, but what is Jesus' response when they were afraid? He said, hey, don't be afraid. It is I. It's me. He is saying, it is I am. It is Yahweh. If you guys remember with Moses, who was uh, facing the burning bush and talking with God, and God said, I want you to go and save the Israelites, and Moses responded and said, who do I say sent me? And he said, I am sent you. Tell them I am is sending you. And we talked about this, uh, I guess, a couple months ago, where I kind of finally realized and understood what this I am meant. I am fill in the blank. I am your Savior. I am peace. I am mercy. I am love. 
I am your refuge. Fill in the blank. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. I am is here. Jesus calmed the storm. Tony Evans says this. He says, faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. That's a good word. Last, we must understand that Christ cares about you and has the power to heal. In verse 53 through 56, we read, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched were made well. Christ has the power to save you from your storms. It's been years ago, uh, but I lost my job. I had just returned from a mission trip of taking students to Mexico, which we are going to do mission trips, but we've got renovation stuff to deal with first. We just got back from camp. Just wait. We'll get there. But I just returned from a mission trip from Mexico. Two weeks later, I lost my job. And I started looking for work. And I was like, Lord, really? So I applied for unemployment. And I really didn't understand then how the system works. I really don't understand how it works now. And so I was denied. So I learned at the time, I don't know if it's still that way, that your employer has to approve that. So while I was looking for a job, it took a couple of months before I found one. Well, I appealed. And so after you appeal, you had to meet with a mediator. And then you meet with the mediator and your manager who represents the company and yourself. So we did that. After the mediation and discussion, I won. They owed me back pay for the time that I was out, even though I had started work. And so I was like, great. This was right before Christmas. We made it through Christmas, and then January came. Carson was still a baby. She was still in diapers. Uh, Tyler was just a, a little lad, and Jordan wasn't even thought of yet. So it was, it was a little time ago. And I went to the grocery store. I knew we didn't have much money, wasn't quite payday yet. We had made it through Christmas. As I went to the grocery store, I was trying to get diapers and formula because we were out. And I was like, Lord, please let this clear. Please let this clear. Lord, I'll even pay the overcharge, whatever. It, it, just, just let it clear. I'll pay it. Went to the register, and I was denied. I went back home thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I've got a baby. My shift was second shift, so I was taking care of the kids that morning. I called Mandy, and we were talking. I was like trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get diapers and formula. I don't know what to do. I couldn't get it. Should I steal it? No, I shouldn't do that. And I couldn't figure it out. So what did I do? By that time, the mailman came by. And as we were talking, I walked out to the mailbox, opened up the mailbox, and there was the check that we had been waiting for for months for $3,000. What did I do? I ran to the bank. I ran and got some diapers and formula. God took care of us in the middle of our storm. He was right there with us, even though I was clueless and I just didn't know. I share that because I want us to understand. God knows. We are all, at some time or another, have faced struggles, have faced difficulties, as the disciples did. Even though we could be in the middle of God's will, 
I want you to understand that God loves you. He cares about you. And just like he went around to the cities, the villages, the countryside to heal, he healed those who what? Who came to him. This morning, I wonder if you need to come to him. This past week, <laughs> on Wednesday night, we had a, it was a powerful night. We had a video that was shown after the message that talks about students dealing with anxiety, depression, even suicidal thoughts, things that you wouldn't think about. You would think that only adults might have some of those fears or depressions. Or the, no, our students face those even more so. It is said that students to, uh, and seniors in high school today have the anxiety level of a um, psychiatric patient back in the 50s. They have that type of anxiety level because of trying to figure things out. They need Jesus more than ever before, and we as adults and parents need to point them in the right way. Trust me when I say that I can relate, I can understand. I want to share something this morning that I have never shared publicly. Before I do, let me go through this application real quick, just so I don't forget. We've mentioned these. I just want to review. If Christ saw the importance of a proper prayer life, how much more do we need one? Jesus is the great I am. He is with you even in the midst of the storms, and he cares about you more than anyone else. So what I want to share, I want to share my testimony and a tragedy. My testimony, uh, of course, the greatest thing that happened in my life is accepting Jesus as Savior. And then I'll share a tragedy, something that only very few people know. In fact, my kids didn't even know. I met with them last night to share with them so they weren't surprised this morning because I just didn't want them to hear it publicly and wonder what in the world happened to Dad. When I was nine years old, we, I went to vacation Bible school. Um, we had started a new church. Loved it. We started um, attending church there. A uh, Sunday school teacher, he called our home and said, hey, can I take Jeff out to eat pizza? Jeff was like, yes, in a heartbeat. So we went out that Friday night. He shared the gospel over dinner. On the way home, he continued to talk, and he asked if I would like to ex uh, accept Jesus into my heart and accept him as my Savior. And I said yes. I remember Clearly, I don't remember the exact date. Some people remember the date, and they've got it all written down. I just remember I was on a dirt road in the back seat of a Plymouth Horizon, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was nine. Every time I share that testimony, I also have something else in the back of my mind that I never share, I never say. But I want to share it this morning because I want you guys to understand how much we can relate, that we all go through storms, we all go through tragedies, we all can relate. We talk about um, being real here, that God loves you and that you matter. And some of you think that you've only gone through some storms or some difficulties or some tragedies. I'm sharing because I can relate. That same man who led me to Christ also molested me as a child for two and a half years. For two and a half years, I was sexually molested. And it's something I've never publicly ever stated before and only shared very privately, only on a need-to-know basis. 
That was a tragedy. The fear, the anxiety, the pain, the shame, the hurt that I felt for years. I grew up with other little boys. This was a Sunday school teacher. If you guys remember, they used to give out Sunday school pins, and he had the pins for 40 years. So this had happened to dozens, if not hundreds, or more boys. I grew up with boys who turned to drugs, turned to drinking, committed suicide, all because of what he had done. Why didn't that happen to me? Because my focus was on Jesus. And all glory to him. Because I could have ended up like any of those other guys. I saw some of them waste their lives knowing the truth and the tragedy of what had happened to them. I am nothing special. But I do know that my focus through that was on Christ. Growing up as a teenager, I remember committing my life to Christ. I remember the first time I had the opportunity to, to lead someone to Christ. It was the summer between my ninth and 10th grade year. My best friend, who was my neighbor, who was getting ready to move soon as his dad accepted a new job. I would carry my New Testament Bible to school with me every day. I carried tracts with me, and I would hand them out. I remember one day I had handed out like 13 or 14 in one day. We didn't have a big high school. Why was I different? Why did I not turn to drugs or girls or drinking or act out those things that had happened to me? Because of Christ and only Him. Jeff, why in the world are you sharing this? Because I want you as a church body to understand. If you go through tragedies, if you go through trials, I can empathize. I can relate. We truly do understand. But I can also point you to one who understands and loves and cares more than I do. My wife knew we protected our kids a little differently. Mandy knew that if anything had ever happened to one of our kids, like what happened to me, she would lose her husband because I would be in jail because I would have murdered someone. Parents, understand that I will protect your kids because if anything happens to one of our kids, you're going to lose a youth pastor because I'm going to jail. And I say that unashamedly. I mean that with my heart. Part of the reason was not only did God call me, part of the reason was I wanted to make sure that nothing like that happened to someone else. So I wanted to be in ministry to make sure that didn't happen. You guys understand? This past week has been so powerful. It has been amazing. You saw the students that stood up and only half of them are here. God moved in a mighty way. And God is still moving. I wonder if there's anyone here that also has a tragedy story and needs to turn to Jesus. That your focus has been on other things, but your focus needs to be on him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for being able to be transparent and open and point to you and give you all the glory and all the honor. Father God, that you can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. 
you can take a negative and turn it into positive. Father God, I thank you for saving someone like me, even through a Sunday school teacher who was sick, but still showed me in God's word what it means to be a Christian and to trust you. Father God, thank you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder, is there anyone here this morning that can say, Jeff, I need Jesus. I need that kind of focus. If you just slip up your hand and put it back down, I just want to pray for you. I won't call you out or single you out. I wonder, with all eyes closed and heads bowed, is there anyone that can say, Jeff, I understand your tragedy. I've had tragic things happen to me as well. Help me to focus on Jesus. Would you raise your hand? and slip it back down? I'll be praying for you. Others, I wonder if you need to be like our students and you need to make some commitments, you need to rededicate, you need to commit your life back to Christ. Is anyone can say, Jeff, I know Jesus is a Savior, but I need to recommit. I need to rededicate. If you raise your hands, I just want to pray over you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for Keystone. I thank you, Lord, for your love. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the people that you have brought this morning and who have been so patient in listening to your word. Father, I pray, Lord, for these, Lord, that have raised hands, that have been through tragedies as well. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to turn back to you and that their focus will be solely on you because you are the God that can heal. You are the God that can save and that you see us right in the midst of our storms and that you are with us, walking right beside us. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.